The Water Values Podcast, Session 27. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. Thanks for joining me. I'm in the midst of a summer cold, so I'm going to keep my introductory remarks brief. First, I hope everyone had a great Labor Day weekend in the U.S., and for those in other parts of the world, I hope you had a great weekend as well. Today, Donna Vincent Roa joins us to talk about communications in the water sector. She's got a very interesting perspective on water, and a few things she talked about really struck me as great ideas. So keep listening, and I think you'll really enjoy Donna's interview. And please remember to listen all the way to the end to take in the all-important disclaimer. With that said, let's get on with it. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Well, Donna, thanks so much for coming on to the Water Values Podcast. Greatly appreciate your time. If you could, could you tell us, please, a little about your background and how you got interested in water? Sure. Well, I've been lucky enough to work in the area of public health and the environment for my entire career. And during that time, I got a chance to travel to, I think I'm up to 34 countries now, And two of those countries provided me with experiences that I think are very important uh, to our discussion today in answering the question why I got into water. So I'll talk about my background and segue into why I got into water. I've served international organizations in communication, in public affairs, in strategic communication issues. I also have done brand management for global organizations and have been working in the water industry probably for the last seven or eight years now, with a particular emphasis on water sector communication. When I worked in my early career in public health, I got a chance to travel to uh, Senegal, and I visited a a hospital there. And when we think of a hospital, we think of a fairly large facility with doors to get in and, you know, floors where you go to visit people. And in this particular case, the hospital was something we would call a gazebo a very large gazebo, but it had no doors, it had no walls, and there were towels on the floor where kids were and nurses walking around. And during this time, there were several children there that were experiencing obvious dehydration. And while I was there, one of the children died and the other one was on uh, her way out of life. And it was at that moment where I realized the critical importance of water and how I felt like it touched my inner being, it touched my core, that I knew I had to become a soldier for water, a champion for water. The second event that confirmed my experience and confirmed my intent to be a champion for water was I traveled to Peru when I worked at the World Bank Water and Sanitation Program, and I got a chance to be in a village the very first time that the village got water. Prior to that, the women would travel several miles. I mean, you've heard the stories that carrying 50 gallons of water for one or two miles back to the village just to be able to to cook or to wash your hands or wash clothes. And I was physically there the moment this, um, this village got water. And I remember that moment so well. It was something that touched me to my core and yet again confirming the fact that I needed to become a champion for water. And so here I am today working as a water sector communication professional. I am an accredited business communication professional with uh, specialized expertise in water, and I help 
global organizations, engineering firms, water tech companies, and others in the you know, U.S. and international arena on water issues. Those sound like some, some very powerful experiences that you had in Senegal and Peru and the other 32 countries to which you've traveled internationally. Just very interesting stories. So you're an expert in water utilities and their communications. Let's talk a little about what your perceptions are of how water utility communications are at present and where you think they ought to be going. Can you, can you talk a little about that? Sure. You know, I did a deep dive in the uh, evaluation of the sector in preparing for a project that I was working on called the Activate Program, where I looked at water technologies, I evaluated the entire commercialization process, and during this time, I was able to look at even how utilities were adopting water technologies and attended meetings on the small water utility side and did research about large utilities. And I started looking at specific documents, you know, sort of from a historical perspective to find out how long communication and the importance of it for water utilities has been discussed. And so from an industry perspective, what I learned was that in the mid eighties, the national academies challenged the EPA to start focusing on communication with a particular emphasis on crisis communication or, you know, communication for crisis situations. And there was a document that came out um, in 2004, which sort of was the, the tie-in to the initial research in the 80s that looked at the future of water utilities and how they were going to uh, attach themselves to at least uh, you know, nine attributes of excellence that would position the water utility to excel. And within that context, communication was one of the attributes. And the document, you know, maintained that uh, utilities need to focus on strong internal and external communication and make sure that those who were delivering it were also skilled in the process. And then recently, if you look at um, the Water Environment Federation's energy roadmap. It was a document that was the result of 40 water communication professionals that came together to discuss um, the utility of the future. There's been a lot written in the last 12 months about the utility of the future, but this particular document, I believe, which came out about a year, a year and a half ago, uh, identified several areas, one of which was communication. And so if you look at the historical evidence, communication has been brought up, talked about, addressed and listed in the top things that a utility needs to do. And while I would report that there is there are pockets of very positive activity, DC Water, for example, as, as one utility that has won a champion for water, they have a lot of um, external affair activities that are really top notch. And there are pockets around the US where you can find that utilities are starting to sort of beat the drum for what they're doing. And I think that there's, um, you know, definitely a growth area for a utility to represent both their reputation and their brand. Because what 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 I'm finding now is that the media typically reports on the water main breaks. They typically report on the bad news. Um, so if you only hear bad news about a utility, the public's impression is not going to be fully informed about the broader story of the utility. So to answer your question, I think that as the utilities are considering um, transformation in their operations to be able to move to a utility of the future, 
I would propose that they also start to examine their communication operations portfolio because it is an important asset in their broader asset management um, discussions. Right. When I when I first started practicing law, one of the things that folks said was, hey, stay out of the news and keep your head down. That's a good thing. And I think the thought process there was that any publicity might you know, bring scrutiny down on the utilities operation, whether that's from the media or from the regulators. And I think over the last 15 years, I've seen a gradual erosion of that mindset. And and I agree with you that, that communications are so important. And hopefully that mindset of just stay out of the papers and everything will be okay. Hopefully that's going away for good. But could could you tell us your perspective on, you know, you brought up DC water. How, how has this transformation from utilities being passive on the communication front to being more active? Uh, how has that transformation gone, you know, from being relatively silent to being storytellers about water? Yeah, you know, I am, I'm not uh, a DC representative. I can only give you what I've learned through the process of, you know, meeting the leaders, um, having sit down coffees with uh, several of the staff there and also seeing them give presentations at various events. But I certainly keep my eyes on DC for a number of reasons. I think that um, first and foremost is that they have a champion for water and that is the leader of the organization. He has um, really stepped up to the plate for being a thought leader on water issues and on engaging with the public. You know, I keep thinking about how, you know, in some places people build fences around their house, around their yard to keep people out. And one of the terms that we hear quite often in the industry is uh, inside the fence and outside the fence. And what I think has happened with DC Water is that George Hawkins has torn down the fence and he's made the public and the customer stakeholder a very strong part of the equation of the success of his utility. And I think that first and foremost, having a leader that's gonna step out and deal with the tough questions and deal with those, those issues that a water utility is gonna face over and over again. And I would say that, um, you know, I actually was inspired by one of George's presentations at um, the event put on by the Value of Water Coalition recently. It was uh, on aging infrastructure in DC and he was one of the presenters and there were a group of presenters in front of the room and you know he gave his presentation and started off with a story and on my train ride home i could recall the details of the story and then he talked about the issue it's like he hooked me with storytelling and so i think i think that a key part of um being able to engage the public is to reduce the engineering terms to stories that people can understand you know, this is a story about a person, a person's basement overflowing with sewage. And the reason it happened is because we have issues with pipes that are too old. And let me tell you how, you know, how we got there. And so he, he artfully weaves in the engineering facts with personal stories. And you're able to have these hangers, if you will, on the story, and then, oh, by the way, you're going to remember that the pipes are old and they need to fix them. I agree with you. I think he's done a phenomenal job, and storytelling is just central to getting people hooked, as you said. Uh, you brought up the story of, of, say, flooded basements with backed-up sewage, and that kind of brings us into the 
the one water concept. You know, we're talking about the water utility, but the sewage is backing up. And when we talk about those, uh, you know, those utilities, the water and the sewer utility together, you know, it just you know brings to my mind the one water concept. How how is storytelling advancing uh, that one water concept? Yeah, you know, that's a critical question. Uh, one thing that did come to mind sort of in answering your previous question is um, there are other examples like in Cincinnati or in Milwaukee or in Orange County. There are some other examples. You know, I probably could do an entire interview about the good things that water utilities are doing. Um, and I, you know, don't want to miss out on that opportunity to say that, you know, Cincinnati has a, a, an awesome example where they're focusing on green infrastructure and changing the way that they, they do their capital projects. So I would say that, you know, to answer your question about the one water communication, that there is, they, there is a move within the industry for something called one water management. And the one water management is looking at water as water. Water is water, whether it's wastewater, storm water, um, you know, resource water, anything, it's, it's all one water. And so as I was reading an article on Water Online by Marc Chevalier talking about the one water concept and then also looking at um, Ben Grumble, who is the head of the U.S. Water Alliance and also the project manager for the Value of Water Coalition, he's been um, doing a lot of thought leadership on one water management. And I started thinking about if the industry were moving towards one water management, then it's essential for communication, especially if we're going to deem utilities as, as a business, that communication is going to follow with one water communication, that that would be an important adjunct and complement to one water uh, management. Through this process, I started looking at what are the things that we could do to complement the one water management, and I started looking at um, potentially how we could standardize visual communication about water. I did some research about the industry's use of a color palette. I mean, if you're an electrician, for example, you know that there are certain, certain colors that mean certain things, and if a wire is wrapped in red, you know what that means. I'm not an electrician, and I don't propose <laughs> to know all the colors that they use, but I do know that the uh, electrical field has a, a good use of colors to understand sort of what's happening in the field. And so I started looking at also Rear Admiral Francis Beaufort, who put together the Beaufort wind scale. So I started studying the way that he named wind to try to get an understanding of how he sought to standardize the way that people viewed wind how they understood sort of how fast it was going. And he set up this scale uh, to help to standardize because prior to that, there was a profusion of scales that um, caused a lot of confusion and inaccurate measure, uh, measurement and communication about wind. So I looked at how he did that and started thinking about how can we use language, icons and color to help to standardize communication about water. And one of the things that I came across was way back, I think it was in the 90s, where the story of uh, purple pipes came about in Orange County, where you know they were looking at a different color pipe to uh, pipe reclaimed water. They actually chose a color, and it was Pantone 512. And that particular color was supposed to be the color used for reclaimed pipes. 
as I was doing research on that, I found an infographic, and it was done by a major organization, no names, and that particular infographic had a purple pipe going into the house, into the sink, into the bathroom, and into the basement where um, potable water was supposed to be going. The purple pipe was showing as you know, going into a place where it shouldn't have been. And so it made me think, we really need to standardize. If we're going to improve communication, if we show people that reclaimed water is going inside of a house, that's the really the wrong message. It's an inaccurate message. And so I started to dig up this story about the purple pipes and use that to jump off into creating the ROA conceptual model for water communication. Um, I thought it was the right thing to do. I think in general we have an affinity towards categorization and the interest in, in um, using colors to help to codify what we do. I mean, if you look way back to the, to the Roman period in the Middle Ages when the church was using uh, color for you know, symbolic purposes, the color of the vestment, all the way to you know, any other color schemes that we have, I thought, okay, why not do this for water? In doing this exercise, what I came to learn was if I were going to create a color palette and surely accurately representing reclaimed water, which is the Pantone 512, that I needed to put together an entire framework that if one were interested in communicating, for example, on the treatment of water, that I could actually apply that color palette within the context of a model that would show in very simplistic terms how water is treated. And one of the key messages in the model is that water is water, whether it's groundwater, surface water, brackish water, seawater, stormwater, it's all water. But within this context, I created very specific icons. So we've got color visually connected to each type of water, and then we have an icon for each one of them that undergoes a specific treatment that yields a specific type of water. Again, a set of colors, a set of icons, and then it goes through to become used water or asset water. And one of the things I, I was looking at with this terminology, there was a, a conference, an international conference that requested its attendees to um, take a survey about changing the language of water. And so I decided I was going to evaluate that survey and see if I could learn anything from it as I was developing this model. And one of the interesting points was that the survey gave options for changes, but they were and sometimes a bit more complicated than the original word. So what I tried to do with this was to also create the or use the simplistic terms so that anyone can understand this model. So if you have industry that used water and it became um, dirty, it was called asset water. And the reason it's called asset water is that we can pull assets from the water. In the industry, it's called wastewater, but the reality is it's not waste because part of this process required that I do research on what is really happening in resource recovery. It's everything from you know the ones we know, nitrogen, phosphorus, silver, cadmium, all the way to you know recent developments in, in thermoplastics, 
um, you know, bioplastics, duckweed, ash, magnesium, gold, and the list goes on. So from a public perspective, if we want to raise the profile of resource recovery, we can't say that it's wastewater. If water is water, then if something goes into it, it now becomes water that has assets that we can take away. It's the carrier now of something that is potentially good. We extract it through the treatment process and we get organics, we get nutrients, we get metals, we get energy. And so why not call it asset water? It's got assets we can pull off of it. Some of it, you know, obviously still needs to go under under treatment. And I'm, you know, I'm not sitting here you're telling you that I am a uh, an engineer and I can explain all the technical aspects of the product of the project or the process. What I am telling you is I wanted to come up with a model that I could put on a table with a group of sixth graders and have them explain the model to me without any prompting. That was my goal. That sounds that's that's fascinating because I've. I've been of the same mindset as you. I've, I've really not liked the term wastewater. Um, and so calling it asset water, I think, is, is really genius to make us change our mindset about how that, that water is viewed. Um, can, you tell, can you expand a little on uh, when did you come up with the, the ROA conceptual model? What's, what time frame were you talking about here? been working on it for a couple of years now. I think the genesis of the idea came when I was in the Activate program studying water technology commercialization. And I started stirring about this um, this idea about resource recovery too and just felt like I needed to put something together. You know, you, you're driven with an idea and you feel like you need to make it happen and that you were given this idea. I, I kind of joke around and I say, I, I firmly believe that the universe gives the same idea to more than one person because the universe wants that idea implemented. And so I count myself as an implementer. If I get an idea, then it's my responsibility to carry it through. And so I started doing really strong research on this. And I guess one of the things too on resource recovery that's inspiring is I was at the inaugural opening of the WEFTEC Innovation Showcase and Pavilion where Cornell Samuels um, gave a presentation and he was talking about WEF's role in changing the paradigm and the discussion on resource recovery. And I'll never forget what he said and, and that, that, um, that emphasis on changing the language to resource recovery uh, really played into my setting up a color palette item. If you see the row of conceptual model, there is an icon and a, a color chip for resource recovery. Because I think if we can relate the recycling icon the development of that and the use of that and the familiarity of that within society, what I would propose, and if I had, you know, five other Donnas sitting next to me, I would tell one of them, raise the profile for resource recovery and let's get this icon out into the public's view so they come to understand that we can pull assets from water that's been used in very simplest terms and that we know and understand resource recovery and there is an icon that represents that process interesting stuff uh, how has it been received what what stage is it in right now 
So I have um, pitched it to a number of journal articles. I think there's going to be one coming out in the fall. I'm still waiting on the confirmation. Uh, I have it posted, a lot of the stories about it on my website, donavinsaroa.com, and also some articles about it on Speaking Up About Water, which is my blog where I focus on a number of industry issues, uh, many relating to water utilities and water, water communication globally. Okay. Uh, let's get back in and, and talk about some of the examples from around the country that you mentioned earlier. You, you brought up Cincinnati and Milwaukee. Uh, you said Cincinnati had a lot of green infrastructure. Uh, and can you talk about some of the other examples of what some of these, these cities are doing in the storytelling they're, they're wrapping around their, their water projects? Yeah, I think with, with Cincinnati, that's a, a very good case study. I know that um, Tony Parrott is another champion that I would um, certainly put up right up there in the category with, uh, with George Hawkins. And one of the things that, um, that they've done is to, to take a really close look at the way that their, um, their water and sewer assets are contributing to the community uh, they, they look at regulatory requirements as a sort of piece of the equation, but I think that their shift in bringing the sustainable above-ground investment to the community has made um, the model a bit different. I think that, um, you know, like all the other water utilities across the country, they face um, problems with having to communicate the value of water investment and so when they're doing things for the community and there's some visible evidence of the things that they are doing, um, I think it changes the whole water dynamic for a community. One of the examples that, um, that Tony would provide is when there was a spill in the Elk River upstream in West Virginia. I don't know if you remember that, but it was a, um, it was a spill that had the potential of, of negatively affecting the water um, the water delivery in Cincinnati. And because they had planned for this kind of event, um, they were able to eliminate any impact to their drinking water system. They were able to close off a few, um, a few, whatever you would call them, pipes or, you know, whatever valves to keep the, um, the bad water from coming in and they let it just pass down the river. And then there's another, um, another activity, you know, while I'm sure Tony can provide additional details. And if I could nominate someone to interview, I think he's, you know, another really good candidate for you, but he works in partnership with um, the Department of Housing and Urban Development so that the, the investments they're making in infrastructure are going to have a really positive impact on their communities. So I think utilities focusing on social outcomes and impacts on the communities are going to be an important part of being able to bring communities into the fold, sort of tearing down the, the fence, if you will. Sure. And, and that brings up an interesting point about strategies for communicating about water. I really like the idea of, of you know, getting the social involvement and the community building type, um, type avenue for, for getting those communications out. What are some of the other strategies that you've, you've seen utilities use? You know, I'm actually on the edge of doing a, um, a major evaluation of water utilities, both public and private. Um, I'm in the midst of that particular project right now, and I'm looking at um, things happening inside the fence, outside the fence, directly with the customers, uh, with sustainability, and with brand. 
So looking at, um, you know, just the whole customer service operation, while oftentimes one might not consider that as part of the strategic communication portfolio, I think that there are opportunities within the context of customer communication, whether it's to take the activity uh, to another level using technology or actually taking a step back and evaluating the processes of customer service. What's going on? How has it happened? What are your current channels of communication? Where can you improve? How can employees be trained differently? Because I think every single customer encounter is an opportunity to reinforce both the reputation and the brand of the utility, but also, you know, it's like a moment for doing good. And that when utilities are positioned in the customer service area to complement all the other things that are going on, whether it's sustainability or brand or um, you know community education, that it all works together into this one water communication kind of activity and that we really have to look at the entire utility as an ambassador for the product that it delivers. It's everything from do we use appropriate um, messaging on the door handles? Um, do we need to brand the utility? Does the utility need a logo? Um, how many of our business communication practices do we need to embed into the utility to make sure that all the work that they're doing on the technical side is going to um, sort of be known by the community? And I think if you look at some specific areas, one would be brand and brand management of the utility. I think both in public and private settings that that utilities have an opportunity to brand themselves. Utilities are a business, and I think that's one fact we can never forget. Whether they're a public utility or a private utility, they are a business, and businesses have a brand whether they like it or not. If they sit and try to manage the brand from the inside and you know, work towards improving the brand, that will bode well for what happens in the future with customer relationships. So there's branded brand management for utilities, the customer service communication that I've already mentioned. There's the, the usual external affairs, the customer outreach, the customer education, customer uh, engagement. And I think that mainstreaming sustainability is another um, utility of the future area that I think communication can also play a role because within the context of those achievements uh, for sustainability, business communication needs to capture that, you know, either through the annual sustainability reporting or a very specific way in knowledge management to document and disseminate sustainability achievements. And I think that utilities are positioning themselves and there's clear evidence that there's a trend towards utilities uh, becoming recognized as sustainability leaders, that it's, it's something that um, they've been doing all along you know, if you were to use the green washing, green blushing continuum, I think utilities are really the first green build, uh, green um, uh, business in in our nation. I mean, they were focused on these kind of issues from very beginning. You know, changing the way sanitation happened in the U.S., for example, that's a very green activity. It wasn't called green back then, but water utilities are really on the cutting edge of sustainability. And I think that as they move towards the the tenets of the utility of the future, that the reporting um, of the sustainability accomplishments and achievements are going to be equally as important. And then I think uh, another area, I, you know, I call it the executive services area. Um, we cannot underestimate the power of a utility leader who is front and center 
Um, you know, I think that's that's the top of the game here and that we need to work in the area of business communication to make sure that that there is that thought leadership and that there is the the trained professional who can, you know, talk on his three or his or her three or four messages and they know about brand, brand building, brand management. So um, I see some really positive things happening and the the evidence of agencies, both public and private, that are moving towards stronger engagement with all of their stakeholders from the board to the consumer and everybody in between. Um, you know, I think it's an exciting time for the industry. And, um, you know, it's one of the reasons why I put together this project called The Value of Water, a compendium of essays by smart CEOs, is that, you know, I would hear the Tony Parrots of the world or the George Hawkins of the world telling these stories. And I thought, okay, this is the perfect time to begin to document and catalog these things that are happening as it relates to the value of water with a particular emphasis on water utilities. Right. I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think utilities have a great story to tell. It's just a matter of getting out there and, and telling it in the right way. And, and, you know, the, for folks like, you know, George Hawkins and Tony Perry, we just need lots more of those folks out there. There's a lot of them out there who we don't know about yet. They just, they're, they're in the process of developing uh, but I agree with you. And tell us a little more about this 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 book you mentioned, the value of water. Yeah, we are um, we're right in the middle of this. Um, I put together a proposal um, quite a while back, and have been looking for the right partner to be able to um, to create this book. It's it is called the Value of Water, a compendium of essays by smart CEOs. And my original vision for this was for us to look at all the different aspects of the value of water, you know, everything from the technical side of it to the personal side and um, document specific CEOs insights on the value of water and have them, you know, share with us the complex issues that they're facing within the context of their organizations. Because I think it's important for us to step back and take a moment that we're we're in a position to inform the conversation about water's future for business. And so it was pretty much an easy sell because I think those who, who said yes to the, to the project, you know, certainly have a role to play in showcasing the value of water leadership and how, when we value water, how it affects business performance and um, you know, they're able to provide very specific lessons learned, lessons learned, best practices, um, calls to action. And I think the overarching purpose of the book is that with the sharing of these perspectives about water, that we're going to convince the reader that all of us need to be stewards of water and that as we, you know, read this kind of information, that our consciousness about water can change our consciousness about the value of water can change. Well, that sounds like a great book. I can't wait till it comes out. Um, well, we, we are coming up against our time limit here. And Donna, for those folks, you've, you've done a great job, I think, telling us about all these different and very interesting and fascinating areas of communications in the water industry. But where can folks go if they'd like to find out more about you and your company? 
I'm on LinkedIn. Would love to connect with any listener. If you've heard the the podcast today and you want to connect with me, please send me a note on on LinkedIn. I am the uh, author and founder of the blog SpeakingUpAboutWater.com. It's also on DonnaVincentRoa.com front slash blog. And Vincent Rower Group is my company. It's a business communication firm that focuses on environmental issues with a specific emphasis on water. And in addition to that, if you're looking for um, sort of another broad set of articles, I have, I think, around 14 or 15 articles on water online. It's a very strong industry publication. You can sort of search my name on there and see additional information. And then in the coming months, um, you can hear me speak. I'll be at the uh, One Water Leadership Summit put on by the U.S. Water Alliance and other organizations. I'll be attending the um, World Water Summit, Summit being put on by The Economist. So, you know, say hello. If you see me out, I'll probably be carrying copies of my book. (laughs) Well, great. Well, Donna, thanks so much for coming on today. I think you've been terrific and uh, certainly wish you the best of luck with uh, the release of Value Water and and your other water communications. So thanks again. Thank you. I appreciate the time and look forward to connecting again soon. You bet. We'll talk to you soon, Donna. Bye. Bye. Well, that was my interview with Donna Vincent Roa. She was fantastic, wasn't she? A couple takeaways for you. First, I thought renaming wastewater to asset water or resource water is a terrific idea to get people to think differently about that water. Many people in the industry know that energy and resource extraction can come from what's commonly called wastewater, but the general public likely does not know. And and renaming it asset water or resource water could really help further the public's understanding of the water cycle. A second takeaway is the ROA conceptual model This is a very interesting tool that I think can be used to educate the public about water and its many forms and categories, and and I'm really interested to see how it gets implemented on a broader scale. Well, you can check out the show notes for this session at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 27, and please don't be bashful in letting me know what interested you about the interview by leaving a comment on the show notes or by emailing me at david at thewatervalues.com. You can also tweet at me at DTM1993. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and other podcast directories. And also don't forget to tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast and to sign up for the Water Values newsletter, which all can be done at thewatervalues.com. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource. So please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Thank you for tuning into the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Colorado and Indiana, and this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. And information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. 
and that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.